Hey everyone and welcome to the Hashtag Career Goals podcast. I'm your host Adelaide Walsh and each week I interview incredible women on how they crafted their amazing careers in the hopes to inspire our listeners. My guest today is Charlotte Cox. Charlotte is the founder of Fly London, a boutique yoga and fitness studio in the city of London. Fly's objective is to widen the appeal of yoga and create a non-yogi environment. They have an array of immersive yoga classes set to cinematic visuals. If you know Fly London, you know their famous screens and curated playlists that accommodate beginner and advanced yoga fans. As a lawyer, Charlotte turned to fitness to manage stress. When a friend recommended that she do yoga, she noticed the classes often left her feeling self-conscious, confused and reluctant to return. She found there was complete lack of classes that accommodated beginner and entry-level students. When she became aware that she was not the only one feeling this way, she toyed with the idea of setting up her own yoga studio. And so the journey of Fly London began. In this interview, Charlotte and I talk about her career journey of setting up Fly London and the importance of leveraging your natural skill set. I really hope you enjoyed this one. Here's Charlotte. Okay, so I'm going to jump straight into the interview. Tell me about your school days and what did you want to be when you grew up? So I went to a boarding school in the middle of the countryside, which was kind of nice. It was a bit isolated, but it was it was lovely. And there's lots of outdoors um, sports and hiking. And it was very um, sporty rather than fitnessy, I guess. Uh, but I, I really enjoyed it, actually. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I've been the kind of person that's always kind of wanted to do everything. So so I really enjoyed art. I really enjoyed drama at school. Equally, I um, really enjoyed like history and English. I also wanted to do science. So I kind of vaguely thought about potentially being a doctor, but equally I wanted to be an actress. Oh, amazing. Yes, yeah, yeah. a lot of range there. Ultimately, I ended up being a lawyer. So none of the things that I thought considered doing, but it was, uh, no, I really enjoyed it. It was a lovely time in my life, actually. Okay, amazing. And so how did you go from that wanting to be an actor, um, a doctor to a lawyer? Did you end up studying <laughs> law and how did you kind of end up at that decision? No, I studied English literature actually, okay. consciously, because I, I was aware that probably I would end up doing some sort of profession that would require further training. I felt like, rightly or wrongly, I felt like doing a, a vocational, for want of a better word, um, degree like law was kind of like narrowing yourself too early. You know, at university, you have this amazing opportunity for three plus years to just spend time immersing yourself in something that will probably never really be relevant to your life again but it's it's a great opportunity to educate yourself more broadly and I absolutely loved um, English literature at school and reading um, and I just wanted to spend some time kind of uh, educating myself almost laterally rather than getting started on something like law that I would have the rest of my life to learn about and practice and I, I really enjoyed it. You know at that age we're kind of thrown into make a decision that will take you down this direction for your life for your career it's too early we don't know what we want so I think ultimately doing a real open course that will allow you to different opportunities and you can skill up it's definitely an amazing idea to do yeah I agree it was great and I think I think as well most most degrees that you do that aren't technically linked to a job have a you teach you a bunch of transferable skills early on in your life anyway you know obviously if you do any kind of essay subject at all you're going to 
uh, get much better over the course of those years at expressing yourself in writing, you know, reading and doing your research and corralling large volumes of information and then distilling that down into a way that you can explain it to somebody else. I mean, that's the basis of so many other careers for, you know, later, including like journalism or any kind of marketing. I mean, it's incredible just actually if you think about it, what you do on a daily basis at university, kind of irrespective of what you're talking about in your essay is super useful later on. Yes, exactly. So how did you decide that law is what I want to do? Uh, So I left uni um, and I hadn't, I wasn't one of those people really that planned for the future. I hadn't done any kind of internships or anything like that. Um, And I ended up working, I got a job through a website work for MP or something like that and on that website it had loads of um, internships with NGOs and stuff like that and um, I wanted to kind of see from my perspective alternative career paths I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do and so and with English obviously as we've just discussed it's quite a broad uh, broad degree it doesn't really narrow you into any particular field so I started working at the finance and strategy department at what was then business enterprise and regulatory reform and is now business innovation and skills mm. and while I was there we were working on some compensation schemes for certain sectors of society that had been disadvantaged by changes in the law, um, international law. I was working on a, a, a these compensation schemes and it was really, really interesting. I found, I found the macro issues super interesting and the way that the changes in international law feed down through a particular country and, and impact on, on people, you know, yeah. people who by any means wouldn't be viewed as um, people who are highly influential but do need to be taken care of um, and and I really loved the role that the government had to play in that in protecting those people and um, looking after their rights and it just so happened that while I was there I met a partner um, who worked for the firm I later went on to work for Clifford Chance uh, and he was um, consulting on, on one of the projects and um, I had a conversation with him and he was like, well, if you enjoy these kinds of things, you should really consider becoming a lawyer because this is the kind of thing that we do. Public policy and um, public law, international law is something that is quite rarefied, but um, it might be very interesting to you. I found it really interesting. So I, I ended up going to law school as a result. So you kind of took that time to feel everything out and something sparked your interest and learning from someone who's an expert in that field gives you, okay, this is something I'd like to explore. Tell me about that environment of working within law. What did you learn? What did it teach you? Law itself, working at Clipper Chance, I was there for the best part of eight years, I think, seven and a half years. I thought... CC, the thing is, once you've entered the wellness industry from a corporate job, I think there's this huge pressure to say that law is unfulfilling. And that just wasn't the case for me. I found my corporate career in many ways to be incredibly fulfilling. And I learned a huge amount about law. But more importantly, I learned, I think, about the power of knowledge and and how that empowers people to understand their place and their strengths as well as their weaknesses. And I think it's really important to accept and understand both um, in, in life in general, both from a societal perspective and also, you know, ultimately when you, when I started my own business, you know, there have been countless times since I started my business that an understanding of the law and an understanding of my rights as a consumer, but also as, as a provider of goods and services to customers 
um, and as a, you know contracting party between you know with suppliers etc yeah. has been so so important. I think the key learning from me from Clipper Chance, but from for a personal perspective, is that you don't have to know the right answer immediately. But what you do need to understand the ability to say when asked a question actually and with confidence I actually don't know the answer to that question um, but I will go away and find that out and I will give you a response um, as soon as possible and to I think I think some of the most dangerous situations I've seen happen both in legal in my legal career and since has been when people they are too worried I guess insecure which sounds critical but I really don't mean this critically I think it's, it's human but they, they are too insecure to let people around them know that they don't know the answer or that they need help or that they need to look at it more closely. Sometimes people don't even accept that themselves um, and they proceed down a path or they proceed with a conversation that they're just completely unprepared for. And the result is really can be very bad. And I, I've, I've, you know, that's is particularly important in the business and entrepreneurial landscape because poor preparation almost always leads to failure. So that was something that really, I, and I think it's a funny cliche about lawyers that they're super risk averse and that they um, are incredibly detail focused um, and therefore they're not really fitted to be business people. But I actually don't oh, agree really? with yeah. that. Mm. Yeah, that is, I, it, it was definitely, because I, I was a banking lawyer. <clears throat> yeah. But um, when I, that, that was a cliche that used to come up all the time all the time that um you know from the from the business side of people from the clients they would always suggest that oh you know ha 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 lawyers don't really understand these things do they but you why don't you stick to law and i'll i'll talk about how we make money out of this oh okay, and actually yeah, yeah, yeah it's a huge cliche and the number yeah. of times actually since since i started my business that i've um heard from people non-lawyers oh so but you're a lawyer you're like yep that's me <laughs> yeah uh, and they're like oh wow they can't like comprehend this uh exactly this of environment yeah. like how can she be doing this exactly exactly wow, yeah. um but I think actually what lawyers are great at are seeing risks which is super important in life in general but particularly in business assessing yeah, the size of that risk and then deciding what risks they can and cannot take it's not about I mean, a lot of people say that entrepreneur, entrepreneurs don't, you know, have a really high risk tolerance. But I think even better than having a high risk tolerance is, is having a tolerance for the risks that you can take and avoiding the risks that you can't and being able to identify those things. And I think law really helped me with that massively. Entrepreneurs, they're kind of um, just going for it. But I think yeah. you would actually be more productive, save resource, be quicker at achieving stuff if you kind of knew those risks and knew what to avoid and knew what paths to take and your career and your experience has led you to have those skill sets so I think that is probably golden yeah I think so I mean and also to be to be clear you're never going to know all the risks in advance oh, no. of course yeah. not but uh, <laughs> free for all minimize yeah, it yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. I definitely did not how did you get into yoga and how did you incorporate that into your, your corporate life? So when I was at CC, I wasn't actually um, into yoga. I was much more into high intensity interval training. I mean, at that time, I mean, yoga has been around. Exactly. Yeah, massively. Jeez, yeah. I love spinning. Oh, I can't I, do it. <laughs> you, can't, you can't, you don't like spinning. I try, I try. <laughs> oh, I love yeah. it. I absolutely love it. But I also um, did a bunch of you know, boot camp classes and Barry's boot camp. One oh, record, yes, yeah. All those kinds of Oh, one rebel and actually, killer yeah it is killer mm. my god yeah um <laughs> uh 
uh, and all of these studios, because obviously this was some years ago now, were actually just starting, or they were still very new brands. And this whole idea of the boutique fitness market was really new and really fun and really cool. You know, when I was um, just starting my career, um, pretty much, and had actually money to spend um, on a gym membership, um, you either kind of went to a fitness first or, a, you know, a, a mid-priced, you know, maybe I shouldn't say this, but fairly uninspiring experience. Um, or you could go to, a, you could spend, you know, hundreds and hundreds of pounds on a really, really ritzy big box gym membership, like Third mm-hmm. Space, for example. <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't think Equinox was actually in the UK at that time. Uh, your choices were super limited. Um, when places like Cycle and, and Boom Cycle, I think they were two of the first boutique studios to arrive in the UK or to start in the UK, came along, they really introduced this idea of fitness as an experience. And that was what really, really got me. Um, and also sitting at a desk all day, you know, the idea at that time of kind of binge, binging on exercise and going really hard um, wasn't a, a thing that had been talked about at all, you know, the, the danger of that. So I felt like that counterpoint of just absolutely destroying myself in a 45 minute class was very good. Yeah. So I used to really enjoy that. I used to do that like four or five times a week, actually. Wow. And then um, I'm impressed. Yeah, well, my body wasn't because I started <laughs> yeah. to pick up, started oh, to pick up injuries, and you know, all, I mean, obviously, in hindsight, that was so clearly going to happen. Um, yeah. But at the time, I just I wasn't really thinking um, properly about it, and also, I think you know, I was in my like mid twenties. You kind of think you're invincible at that time. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I um, and and everybody was just saying, oh, you know, you should really try yoga, and I was so uninterested in yoga for a number of reasons. The this was still at that time where you kind of felt like you had, I, I felt anyway, let's talk myself. I felt like um, I had to burn calories and I had to be, you know, super fit. I was never like focused on getting skinny per se, but I wanted to look athletic. I wanted to feel athletic. If I wasn't burning calories in my class, then it wasn't a real workout. Yeah. And so yeah. therefore yoga wasn't a workout that I wanted to spend my time doing when I could spend the same length of time burning calories. Um, I also, by that stage, was so tight and inflexible and immobile in my joints that doing yoga was pure torture because it was so unbelievably painful on my body. Mm -hmm. Um, And actually, um, in the UK at that time, there were still relatively few options for yoga. Try yoga existed, but the yoga industry was really homogenous. You, you were, and most yoga studios looked the same um, and talked about yoga in the same way and felt to me like they were for people who were already into yoga rather than for people who were just looking to explore and understand yoga a bit. Yeah. Um, there were all these different types of yoga. I had no idea what any of them were. There were open level classes not really sure what that means, but I'm certainly not in that bracket, so I better not go to those. Um, I'm, and, and I think people who are into yoga forget what it's like not to be into yoga. And I just didn't want to touch it with a barge pole. Um, but as time went on, I realized I kind of had, this was the option or not, because I certainly wasn't going to stretch myself out. So I started checking out some um, yoga studios in London by this time, um, some of the boutique studios had started doing it. And because I loved boutique studios, obviously I was going to go to one of those. Yes, yeah, perfect. So I went to a yoga class at one of these 
boutique studios um and i kind of enjoyed the class i thought the instructor was awesome but um i there were still elements of the class the slightly more spiritual elements and um some of the, the ways that she instructed the class i didn't really i couldn't really follow the instructions because i wasn't into it time um but broadly speaking i kind of enjoyed it i thought you know actually this is something i could potentially get into it looks like there's a steep learning curve at the beginning of it which might be a bit annoying but i'll probably i'll get through that and it'll be fine and then i was in the changing room and there were these two girls there and they were talking about how much they hadn't enjoyed the class um because they felt like yoga made them feel um alienated and self-conscious and i remember listening yeah, to this okay. conversation yeah. they were like saying all the things that i thought they're like i didn't really understand what she was talking about when she said this and like um, it a was lot such of people a good... would think that I think yeah yeah mm-hmm. um, and you know they were like oh I was watching this person and they were doing that and I, I'm never gonna be able to do that and and then one of the girls was saying how um, at the end there was some victorious breath um, exercises and, and meditation and, and also some low-level chanting she was like I don't understand that it just makes me feel really embarrassed and awkward and I don't, I don't want that in my class the, the girl in the change room was saying this and I thought that's well, yeah. fascinating because every time I've previously expressed that feeling to somebody who was already into yoga, they've reacted so badly to that, that I felt like the problem must be me. But actually, um, if there are other people out there who are thinking the same thing as me, then there's clearly a market for that, that imagining of yoga. Um, I think the problem is like doing it sympathetically. So I, I need to go out and, and sort of really spend time researching this and getting into yoga. And, and that's actually how I got into yoga, almost because I decided that I needed to build a class that fit me and people like me or find find teachers who were prepared to teach it in that way. And I ended up just going to so many yoga classes, trying to meet teachers, understand, you know, the practice, understand the training, understand, you know, the the roots i guess of yoga and, uh, and why what about that was truly yoga and what about it was um i guess the the market creating a product around it and to identify how that would how we could change that so you kind of worked with different teachers to understand the i guess the craft and how how a class should work or how yoga should be taught so how did you go from there to actually you know, putting the wheels in motion to set up Fly London? I can't really remember what came first, but I, I started talking about it. I think, I mean, I think that's the first big thing for me was that I initially I felt really reticent to tell anyone about the idea um, because I historically wasn't seen as being into yoga. So I thought people would just laugh at me. Um, yeah. And also, um, but actually, of course, that is the foundation of our brand. It's for people who aren't already into yoga and who aren't, who don't feel they are into yoga. So in a way, I suppose it made sense. But yeah, I was nervous about that. I was nervous about the fact that, you know, here I was in what was by any stretch of the imagination, a, a, a good job, um, well paid. So leaving it was a huge, huge risk to take. I didn't have any background in business or, or you know, business training. Um, so broadly, I, I just automatically assumed that this is probably a bad idea and that I probably shouldn't do it. But I kept thinking about it. And then I, after a while, I started talking about it with people. Um, and a lot of people were expressing the same views as me. In fact, actually, almost every person, I would start a conversation about yoga. Someone would be like, oh, I'm not very good at yoga because I'm not very flexible. And I get like really put off by being in a class full of people. And, and the more I talked about it, the more I thought, actually, maybe this, is, this isn't 
too stupid. (laughs) Um, And then one day I was talking about it with a friend and she said, well, you've got to meet my friend. Um, She works in media, um, but she's actually a qualified yoga instructor and um, her name's Fee. And I hate yoga, but if I was going to do yoga, it would be with Fee. I was like, well, yeah. that sounds like a good, good start. Yeah. Um, and actually another one of my friends who also knew, knew Fee, um, she was super into high intensity. She's actually uh, into CrossFit massively. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she does yoga as part of that rehab. And she said, personally, I really hate yoga because it's super painful. And also I'd much rather be doing an intense workout. But again, if I was going to do yoga, it would be with Fee. So I ended up meeting Fee um, to talk about my idea in a pret-a-manger in, in Hoburn. And, um, kind of by the end of that meeting we were going to do it but equally at the same time my so my husband is in um, real estate and um he kind of i i mentioned the idea to him and he suddenly started coming home with um oh i saw this property on the market today you know for rent um i think that would be a really cool place maybe you could start a studio there and it started off as a kind of sort of a joke um yeah. but then like lots of things just started layering on so there was never like yeah yeah, it was never a moment where I was like you know what let's let's just do this it was kind of like one day I was doing it like gradually (laughs) falling into like all these people coming through the woodworks being like this is here here. wow yeah yeah some people say oh why did you start your business I don't really know why like I actually really enjoyed law in a way in many ways um I actually wasn't super into yoga yes I had this idea somehow it all kind of ended up here <laughs> yeah I, th- I think that's really amazing because I think um as you were saying I would say majority of people I know all feel the same about yoga you know it's like it's an intimidating class you're like self-conscious yeah. you're flipping around you can't balance you know the the different names of the the movements yeah no idea um and I think you probably were like well, why not just create one that me and my friends can go to or people like me and we can all kind yeah. of come together without the self-conscious exactly. element. So I think that is just sounds amazing. Did you leave law that like ever or did you always just keep it on the side the whole time? So I created it. So I continued to work at CC till the beginning of 20, 2018. So we mm-hmm. kind of come up with the idea. Um, we'd been looking for a space. We'd done um, a business plan and a financial model that had identified how many people we'd really need um, in a class and how many classes we'd need to run, all of those kinds of things to basically break even. And, th- uh, and, and therefore, what kind of rent could we pay um, and what kind of size space we're looking at. So we'd worked all of those things out in advance. And um, I feel like December 2018, um, we saw a property in the city, which was just amazing. And it had been vacant for so long because it was a conservation building. So um, it was a preserved facade anyway. And so no no kind of normal um, office uh, renters wanted it because they wouldn't have been able to make that many changes either internally or externally. And so it's just sort of sitting vacant. And the landlord... I think it, we basically it's very hard to find space in the city when you're a small to medium you're a startup because you need to put down a huge deposit mm-hmm. obviously mm-hmm. rents are super high anyway but even more than that a lot of commercial landlords need um a covenant what they call a covenant i.e a guarantee from another company or a, a financial backer that has plenty of money and that the landlord is confident would step in to pay your rent if you yeah. couldn't when the startup doesn't work 
Um, and we had no one like that. We had no big backers or anything like that. Um, and we obviously didn't have a company that would back us either. So we needed to find a landlord who would go without that. Um, and we met these guys, they're, they're a family actually here in the building and um, they were really sportive and were open to it. So I was like, oh my God, I didn't, we we're ever gonna come across anything like this wow. ever again. It was also amazing because it was all ground floor and so many businesses, so many boutique studios in the basement. Um, and I just thought it would be so nice to have these huge windows and lots of light and stuff like that, but right on the street, um, it was just perfect. Um, so yeah, I remember actually my uh, husband emailing me. Um, it was like Christmas Eve or maybe like 22nd of December and we we're all about to kind of go away for Christmas holidays and um, with the signed lease. And I was like, oh my God, oh I actually God. just got up from my desk, walked down the hallway and resigned. <laughs> oh, what? Oh my I God. Wow. I know. It was really weird. I didn't even think about it. And then on my way back, I stopped at my friend's office. I was like, mate, I've just just resigned I can't believe this that um, is amazing what a great Christmas yeah. present yeah yeah it was fun and then we spent all Christmas trying to think of a name for the business because we hadn't we thought of the idea we hadn't actually come up with a name for the studio so it was like the whole Christmas even at Christmas dinner we were like what about this and like after all after a while and my whole family was really annoyed that like, I cannot think of any more names please stop talking about it oh how did you end up with um, actually we didn't come up with it in the end um so after we started the business, we hired a guy um, who uh, called Lewis, who used to work for One Rebel. Well, at that time, he used to work for One yeah. Rebel. He's actually gone back to work for One Rebel. And um, he w- had started his own branding agency and he came up with that name. Oh, amazing. That's a good name. Yeah, it would drive you crazy trying to find the perfect name. So it's almost, it's almost yeah, like it you have was. someone external oh, be like, this is what's going to be. Amazing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But yeah, so so I kind of worked at CC for until we had the lease, and then I quit. Um, How did you get people to come and the marketing side of things kind of drum up interest? Um, so we had we we did all obvious things like we had a website, so we'd had the website for a bit, um, gathering email addresses of people who are interested to him. Or once we launched, we'd obviously started an Instagram. Um, we had. Uh, hoarding up you know the the printed boards around the uh, building while we were doing the fit out so people who walked past would see that a gym was about to start there but we didn't have any money uh, because uh, we were using our savings um, to to fund it and um, every we hadn't taken any external money at all mostly because at that time I was like I have no idea whether this is going to work and I just would feel so guilty if I lost somebody else's money so I we did it with all of our own money um, and we really needed to be very very careful about how we spent it so we didn't spend any money on paid advertising or anything like that um, and initially we did it all ourselves so I was posting on social media um, and sort of trying to put together the website we spent some money on a photographer to take nice photos of you know instructors and and Mm -hmm. for content yeah but otherwise we didn't really have anything like that we kind of did it all together between us and then uh, obviously as as the business just started to take off we started in the summer which is a difficult time um for I mean it's it's the sort of dip in the year for the fitness industry because people traditionally work out in the in the run-up to summer obviously and then they all go on holiday or they'd much rather be sitting in a pub or pub garden or whatever Mm -hmm. um 
So it was actually a super quiet first couple of months, but in a way that was great because none of us had ever run a business before. Um, and it just gave us the time to really refine what we were doing um, and learn about customer service, learn about some of the issues that could go wrong, right from things like, you know, a power cut through to um, fixing booking issues and the booking platform and all of those kinds of things. So actually, we ended up having this lovely like three month period, um, June, July, August, settling into it. Um, and then in September we did a, a launch party and stuff like that and really kind of treated that as the main launch. Wow. Um, yeah, you had a few months to kind of feel it out and those customers that come to you first are going to be amazing in terms of feedback and like understanding yeah. what they want from you because they're, they are actively Absolutely. seeking you out and they came without knowing about yeah. you before. That's amazing. Absolutely. So I know, um, there's a lot of immersive meditative, kind of experiences within Fly London classes. I've went to one before and it was a candlelit yoga. Um, oh yeah. So that was super relaxing and it was, you know, very obviously candlelit and we had the immersive screen. So tell me just a bit about the concept of Fly London and why maybe it's different to other yoga studios. The focus of the studio space itself is immersion. So we've, we've created, in the studio we have a, huge uh 4k screen on one wall um floor to ceiling which plays uh visuals of nature and color and space depending on the class you go to sometimes candlelight etc to kind of take you away from the practice and there's a number of things that we're trying to achieve with that not only obviously is it nice to have a focal point when you're going through um stretchy pain but also um but also one of the things that i found about previous yoga classes they tend to be done in really bright light studios which is can be lovely in a way but can also make i think when you're beginning yoga make you feel quite self-conscious we decided to create a space where there were no mirrors it was dark we have these lovely um thick curtains along one wall to block out the light um for most classes and to have the screen as a focal point to sort of create this feeling of of working out in private but also with in a in a community um and so you could feel like no one was looking at you everyone's looking at the screen um you have a little uh, dark corner of your own to just do your practice um mm -hmm. so that's kind of what we've sought to achieve with the studio and then layering on the, the teaching we've tried to make everything about the timetable and the way we teach really easily navigable by people who aren't into yoga yeah. that might be because you've never done yoga before or because you just don't do it regularly but we've been really clear about streaming classes you know if you're a beginner you go to our base flow class you know that you're not going to be asked to do anything that's that's beyond you that the way it's going to be taught is going to be really clear and broken down and you're going to be taught uh, taken through each step and each major pose nothing is going to be assumed slow flow um, which is also often done to candlelight, um, is a very much slower flow um, class with some um, restorative yoga at the end, which uses bolsters, pillows and props to ease you into um, long hold stretches. 
Um, so you get a bit of the flow, you start to do a bit of what you would do in an intermediate or, or kind of traditional yoga vinyasa class where you flow from one movement straight into the next, straight into the next, straight into the next. You do a little bit of that and then you do a little bit of restorative stretching, which is a really lovely class. I absolutely love that. Um, and then we have our flow life class, which is an intermediate class, essentially. Um, and that is where you would go if you already know about yoga and you've done a yoga a few times before. So you feel like you can navigate that kind of class. And so we've, we've tried to make the timetable really simple. We've tried to make the classes really clearly delineated. Um, and in our classes, we don't use Sanskrit. Uh, mm -hmm. We always um, explain a pose irrespective of whether it's almost irrelevant actually whether you name it in sanskrit or you name it in english a lot of the english poses the english names of the poses don't really tell you what it is either i mean if you didn't know yeah. what a crow pose was i'm not sure absolutely you'd yeah know what <laughs> what to do yeah, or a so, so yeah. exactly exactly <laughs> so the key thing for our instructors i mean a lot of people when we first started reacted really badly to the fact that we didn't use sanskrit it's actually less mm. about sanskrit it's more about the fact that in so many yoga classes you'll have a yoga instructor li literally just say the name of the pose and leave you to it. That's from my perspective, that's not really what fitness instruction is about. It's about telling people um, how you get into the pose, um, what you're getting out of it while you're doing it, how the pose should feel rather than how it should look, and then how you move out of it. Um, you wouldn't ever go to a, a fitness class, you know, a boot camp class at One Rebel, for example, um, and, and have an instructor just name a pose and leave it at that they always talk you through the alignment you know if you're squatting it should be like you know the alignment of your knee um and your back and your chest etc so we we sort of tried to to really focus on that element of the class and teach yoga like a fitness class a little bit more like a fitness class um so yeah that's that's how i would view the difference but Amazing. obviously the screen is the thing that a lot of people focus on yeah, it's kind of um, a, a USP of the of the exactly. interior. Um, yeah, and it's so visual as well. Yeah, amazing. Because um, I think exactly those classes and what you've described is exactly what people are looking for who are, you know, new to yoga or just kind of wanting to remove the fuss and enjoy it and get the benefits out of it. A lot of your customers are from kind of corporate jobs, uh, sitting down all day, um, maybe high pressure careers. What do you think the importance is of incorporating yoga and low intensity workouts into a lifestyle like that? I think it's incredibly important. And we get so much feedback um, from customers along those lines. We are in the middle of the city. So of course, you're quite right. That's exactly the kind of person that tends to come to us, particularly mm -hmm. during the week. And certainly for me thinking back to my previous life you know burnout was a real issue um and even if you don't ever get to that stage i mean I, it, it's difficult because i think a lot of people don't even realize they're stressed we're getting much better at identifying this nowadays and there's a there's a obviously a whole conversation around um stress and and finding balance and yeah. take it and, and self-care really but I think even now people struggle to identify what they're feeling as stressed, as, as stress. And I remember when I was leaving, just before I left, a chance I, I started to develop um, all sorts of bizarre physical symptoms, uh, shortness of breath. Mm. Um, I developed rosacea on my face. I had mm. um, digestive issues. And I remember going to a doctor 
um, particularly about my digestive issues and, and having all these tests for, you know, allergies and intolerances and all those kinds of things. And the response was, was that there was nothing wrong with me at all physically. Um, and had I considered that I might be stressed and I was absolutely shocked to realize that and that hadn't even crossed my mind. I mean, I, I associated stress with feeling like I had too much on or that I couldn't get through my work and that, you know, feeling, um, you know, under pressure, but I didn't actually exactly anxiety, um, and being worried about, about my position and not, you know, all those kinds of things. I, I didn't have any of that. I didn't register feeling that I, I couldn't, couldn't get support yeah. or anything I, I felt like my workplace is actually very supportive and that everyone was very friendly and that I was actually doing a good job and um, so the idea that that actually there might be a physical response over which I had no control was quite weird to me and I think learning to recognize the symptoms of stress in your body is super important and then actually as well having in a way the courage to accept that that's happening to you and that it's not a sign of weakness um, and and to, to have the courage to, to say that that's happening and to then take time to look after yourself is really, really important. I think spaces like Fly and, and other meditative spaces you've already talked about, there being others, um, are giving people that opportunity um, to take even 45 minutes out of your day to spend on yourself um, and not thinking about all of the things that are causing that response in your body the kind of physical wellness of yourself hand in hand with your mental health mental state exactly yeah, mental state yeah. yeah it's so important um because if you're sitting down all day you're like oh i'm i'm fine i'm fine but like it, you're mentally your body can if you if you're stressed mentally it, it obviously brings out other effects on your your body your physically which as you mentioned absolutely and I think it can take some time to build up before you realize how bad it it got yeah um and actually one of the really fascinating things I've learned since starting the studio and since we started our chill class which I think must have been the class you went to um was uh, from Fee who said that people who are stretching out their hips and glutes tend to get really emotional Okay, and, and they don't necessarily see that there's a connection, but once you've done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of classes and seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people react exactly the same to what is really quite a simple stretching of your hips, you realize that there must be a connection oh, between yeah. sitting down all day and having really, really tight hips and, and feelings of stress and, and emotional anxiety. Um, we've had people in chill lie in a in a any kind of sort of hip opening stretch position and just start crying because there's like this weird connection apparently between the tension in the hips and and emotional tension that's why people store stress and tension so if you're sitting down all day i mean these are kinds of things i always think "Mm, is there medical research for that but actually anecdotally you can't ignore that this happens and i've actually had those emotions myself stretching out my hips just feeling like yeah, you know when you go for a massage and they're like, you're storing all your stress in your shoulders and you're like, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, and your back is full of stress. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> full of nuts. Um, yeah. yeah, whereas I would have just thought I was slouching the whole time, but obviously it's stress as well. Um, yeah. It's really, really interesting that people become emotionally overwhelmed. You obviously have regular customers and customers who really um, enjoy the classes. How do you create that loyal community and how do you kind of keep them at your studio and create relationships? Uh, I think it's a combination of things. I, I don't think there's ever going to be 
any substitute for creating relationships face-to-face in the studio. You know, um, we are a customer services business. You know, people come in, they meet people on the desk. They want, they want to have a positive experience. Um, we are so focused on keeping a, a really a small team who are there regularly. So therefore they meet the customers a lot. Um, and, I, you know, we smile, we're friendly, we take time to chat. We show people around if they haven't been before. And we, ha- we, you know, obviously we have the time to do that. Um, our head of brand and marketing, Hendrik, and our social media manager and I sit in the reception. That's where we work. We don't have a separate office because we want to meet customers. We want to talk to customers. Every single one of us works on the desk at least once a week. I think that all of that is super, super important. I mean, obviously, as a small to medium sized business, but it's also kind of necessary in the early days. So I think that is super, super important. Yeah. Um, and it's nice that we know customers by name. They know who we are and we've been into classes with them. I think that's really, really important. What career advice would you share with our listeners? Um, this is controversial, I think. <clears throat> but I think there's a lot of, there's a huge narrative at the moment around finding a career that fulfills you. And I absolutely agree with that. Mm-hmm. But I think that it often encourages people to um, swim upstream for their whole lives. You know, I think that you need to find a career that fits with your natural skill set. And by that, I don't mean skills that you can learn at university or that you've already learned, but the things that you're naturally good at and that you enjoy doing. And this is where that kind of fulfillment element comes in. Mm-hmm. If you've chosen a career because you think that it's going to be, um, that you might enjoy it, but that it's, it's going to be lucrative or, or whatever, you're probably going down the wrong route. You know, one of the things that I, law, didn't, law interested me initially, but the reason why I was able to stick at it for so long and genuinely enjoy it for so long is not only did I enjoy the, the subject matter, but that it played to my natural strengths. I express myself best in writing. And I enjoy writing long for long, you know, long things. I, I, I enjoy the, the act of writing. So um, it may, it, I, I wasn't swimming upstream for my whole career. You know what I mean? I chose something that played to my natural strength and interested me. Um, and I think that kind of people sometimes get carried away with what they should be doing um, because yeah. it looks cool or it sounds cool or, you yeah. know, other people find it fulfilling, but, it's not, you know, in particular, I, I hear this a lot about entrepreneurship, a huge amount. Um, since I started my own business, so many people being like, oh, maybe I'll start my own business because, you know, and you're like, I think you've got to feel, feel a real passion to do so. I think you've got to really want to do it um, and not yeah, do anything because people feel like you should, because you feel like you should be doing it, basically. Yeah, and I think people really care what people, what other people think about them think. and what they're doing. Yeah. And the external look, but like you're the one who has to do the day-to-day role. Um, and I do think people let it dictate dictate what they do. And um, you know what you were saying, you felt uh, initially that you were concerned that people would look at you and say, oh, she doesn't do yoga. Why is she setting up a studio? I think that is so true that people are afraid to, um, you know, go in on Monday to work and be like, oh, I've just started um you know a yoga studio or something or like and everyone to be yeah they're afraid of people's reactions and afraid that people will judge them or talk behind their back but you know most likely people encourage you or just don't just do what makes you happy kind of a thing absolutely absolutely great advice um okay cool so i um 
<clears throat> so going to jump to the recommendations my final question um pure nosy uh, nothing to do with career <laughs> um tell me about a favorite book or a book that changed your life um beauty product and your favorite restaurant in london okay so my favorite restaurant in london is um 45 german street it's a bit bougie but it is <laughs> love it it's really nice. I think I've heard it's, of it. it's a restaurant yeah. under fortnum mason oh under fortnum mason, mason. In, yeah so there's like a, there's a restaurant under there it used to be their cafe oh. and then they made it into like a really like a little brasserie thing oh cool um, okay but it's and it doesn't i mean the food is pretty like normal like they do kind of like it's like really really nice pub food made with like Fortnum mason's groceries oh, so like makes the perfect it combination uh yeah exactly but part of the reason why i love going there is um the staff are really lovely i guess like they they always recommend uh, uh, recognize you and they're friendly and the bar is such a, such a lovely place to sit even if you don't want to spend money on the meal like you just order one drink they bring the lovely olives and it's just such a lovely place to sit the ambience in there is really nice the fit out is lovely absolutely love it beauty products is um a bit random but it is pretty much any kind of sunscreen but specifically dr sam's sunscreens dr sam is a cosmetic dermatologist um and she started her own beauty range and the um the sunscreen i actually wear every single day and it is so nice it's such a great primer it feels really oh, good under really? makeup. It doesn't yeah. like make you feel sticky or whatever. Oh, and it's wow, lovely. Yeah. And it's very important to wear sunscreen every day. Absolutely. And I'm in my thirties. Mm. I've decided I agree with that. <laughs> oh, I mean, I'm like it asked my friends all I harp on about wear SPF every day. <laughs> nice. No, great. I love a good uh, sunscreen though. It does make such a difference because they're so oily, right. especially under makeup. And favorite book? So this is a difficult one. I don't think I have a book that has changed my life. Um yeah. I mean, I've read a lot of books and I absolutely love reading, mm-hmm. but no one of them specifically has done. But um, podcast, I definitely have had one. Um, yeah. And I think I think it's pretty it's pretty popular. It's called uh, Masters of Scale. Oh, and yeah. And it's actually, mm. yeah, it's an entrepreneurial podcast. I think one of the reasons why I can genuinely say that this podcast has changed my life is because it was kind of like, when I first started the business, um, I obviously have never done anything like this before and from a very, very different background. Um, I, a lot of it is common sense. If I'm completely honest, that actually sounds very arrogant, but once you've heard someone who you feel like they know, you know, they know what they're talking about, say the things that you're already thinking, you start to feel very, very much more comfortable with making your own decisions. Yeah. Previously, when I first started the business, I'd be sitting around being like, Oh, you know, that seems like common sense to me, but I'm not really sure because obviously I've never done this before. Listen to a podcast that's got millions and millions of listeners and you hear the same thing. It's, it's really it's really empowering and reassuring and there were obviously when we first started the business some very very scary times when we were you know worried that we wouldn't be able to pay the staff at the end of the month kind of thing um and listening to that podcast and hearing other people's stories and how they got through those things and and experienced the challenges of starting small businesses um really really helped me emotionally deal with those stresses Um, And I think one of the things that I particularly enjoy about that podcast is that it doesn't ignore the possibility of failure. Mm -hmm. There's so many podcasts about entrepreneurship, so many books about entrepreneurship, 
focus so much on, you know, the guy who had $10 in his pocket when he started the latest tech unicorn. And, yeah, yeah. you know, any, any chat about challenges is, is kind of lip service to, oh yeah, we had this difficult employee once, but we got rid of them or, oh yeah, you know, we didn't really have very much money, but then we went out and got VC funding. You know, they don't actually talk about the, the daily grind and, and stress and fear of failure and people who come through failure, you know, the guy that actually started something, it was a great idea, but really sadly, not all great ideas make it to the long game. And this one failed and, and how they came through that. I love that Masters of Scale talk about that. It's so yeah. important. Amazing. And that they learn, you can learn from your failures, kind of a twist. Exactly. It. And ultimately yeah. they don't end your life. You can get through it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. Well, Charlotte, thank you so much. You've been amazing. I could talk to you all day. It's, you're super interesting. Thank you. Thanks um, very much.